you're in for a treat, and it, I tell you, it was worth the wait. Uh, this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year when we're graced to have um, Teen Challenge come be with us. And I love the, the folks from Teen Challenge. Bless you guys. I shared first service, and I'll share second service. Um, I, I uh, had Rosie come to our church a number of years ago, and in the course of that, um, our, our middle daughter, Natasha, a lot of you have met and know her, um, she came to be with us um, as a member of our family when she was 12 years old, and Michelle and I joke, and so does Natasha, that Natasha was Michelle's largest baby and longest delivery. She was born at over 100 pounds, and it took 12 years. And um, we adopted her from Russia when she was 12. Uh, she didn't speak any English, and just a d delightful child uh, has been that ever since. Um, but she had some struggles, and um, uh, to kind of catch up, she had to learn English, and she had to catch up with her schooling. And we put her in the high school at Moore Park College so that she could concurrently take high school courses to get her GED and also uh, take some college courses as well. And in the midst of that, where she was out on her own for a while, she'd had 12 years of really um, no presence of the Lord for the most part in her life. And I think for the first year, you didn't even know I was a pastor. Is that right? A year and a half. She just goes, why is he always talking in front of all these people? Um, and, and she loved our family. She's always loved our family, but she just did not get Jesus and didn't understand the whole concept and uh, came to a place to make choices. And um, we struggled with her and ran away a couple times or, yeah. And, uh, and when she went to the high school at Moore Park College, that's when it really started to get rough for her. It was like a rusty valve opened up and all this sludge came out of all the things that had happened in her life. And I'll, I'll let Natasha share that if she desires, but the reality is um, the, the, the worst evil you can imagine was thrust upon her. And, um, and that had been suppressed and she didn't know how to process it. And she went off the rails, and she went dark. Um, and I finally, Michelle and I uh, confronted her and just said, you know, you have to decide what you want to do. She's going out and partying and doing all kinds of stuff. And we said, I, you know, I told her, I said, I'm not going to subsidize this. You have to decide what you want to do. You know what we're about. And she said, I'm moving out. And I'll never forget the night she moved out. It was the first time it rained in a long time. And she was packing uh, this jalopy of a car that my godfather had given her. And it was a beat-up Buick, and she was taking all of her worldly possessions and putting them in this jalopy, and it just started to rain, and everybody's crying inside the house. And I walk her out to the car, and, and I looked at her, and I said, sweetie, you're, you're moving into Oxnard, and people spend their whole life trying to get out of Oxnard. <laughs> and for, for those of you from Oxnard, you're in the best part of Oxnard. And, and she said, Dad, I have to do this. And I think of all my kids, she's the one I relate to the most because she's experiential in her learning. She, she's like me. She just keeps hitting her head in a brick wall. Well, this is going to come down one of these days and, and bloodied and miserable. Uh, but she's experiential. And I, and I knew that this was a choice. Let me repeat that. This is a choice that she was making. And God is a God of choice. And I said, Natasha, there's only one thing I require of you. And she said, what's that? And I said, if you find anything better than Jesus out there, you got to come tell me. And she got in the car and she drove away. And um, she, was, she was trying to accomplish it for over a year and a half. And she called and said, uh, Dad, can I borrow some money? And at that point, I'd have to take her off of social media. And, 
And my heart was breaking. Michelle's heart was breaking just seeing where she was going. She was really going dark. And anyone who knows me knows I have no problem giving money. Don't ask me after service, but I had no problem giving money. And when she'd asked me for money, money is easy. And money can deal with a symptom, but never the problem. And money's an accelerant. It just makes you more of what you already are. And I knew that money wasn't the answer for Natasha. And God had told me, do not give her a dime. And I said, I, I can't do that, sweetie. It's, it's, I'm, not a, I'm not allowed to do that. But the bed's still waiting for you and the meals and your family were here. And she hung up. And at that moment, great fear enveloped me and also Michelle. And her phone went dead and we didn't hear from her. And I thought the next call was going to be from the coroner saying, come get your daughter. And then out of the blue, she called us. And she said, I want to come home. And she did. And she, she, there was something that was happening in her life. And what was interesting to me is before that had occurred, and we were scared to death, Michelle and I, and we were praying, that Sunday when we were at a place of hopelessness, Teen Challenge came. And uh, the, the girls uh, came and shared their testimonies. And I remember just saying, God, if you can do that for them, can you do it for my daughter? And, and then when Natasha called and then she came home, I said to her, you know, Natasha, the Teen Challenge girls were here this past Sunday. And you've been sowing to the flesh for well over a year. You need a reformatting of your life. And what I'd share with the ladies in the last service, I share with them again and with you, is a Teen Challenge isn't a drug rehab. It's a discipleship program. Their whole life has been reformatted. And, and I said, this is where you get a whole new understanding of life and who God is. And she said, I, I want that. I want to know the Lord like you know him. I want that. And I said, well, wait a minute. You understand, the induction center for Teen Challenge is near Compton. Okay, so you guys want to go, I guess. You don't seem to think that Compton's a bad area. And, and, but Natasha's response was, Dad, if it means getting to know the Lord like you know him, I'll go anywhere. And so she went to Compton, and then she graduated to the Ojai property, and she was there for a year and graduated. She didn't get her GED, but unbeknownst to Michelle and myself, she, you know, this, is a, this was paralysis for her to do that because she'd been told her whole life she couldn't. And then she comes to Michelle and I, and she surprises us with her GED. She had graduated high school. And then she wrote her testimony to the chancellor at Liberty University. And Chancellor Falwell gave her a scholarship. And now she is B, A student? Yeah, B student. Strong B. Strong B student at Liberty University, and, um, and, and I, I share that because all of you ladies were an inspiration to our family and a blessing to our church. And I know, as I shared with you in the first service, each church can be a blur, but you are making a profound difference. Do not be discouraged. God's doing a wonderful work in and through you, and we welcome you. So, ladies and gentlemen, would you warmly welcome the Teen Challenge ladies. All right, now if you wonder what Teen Challenge is, take a look at the video. Hello, my name is Rosie Weir. I'm the director of Tri-County Ventura Teen Challenge, and I can't wait to show you what a day is like on our campus. Welcome to Ventura Teen Challenge. We call Ventura Teen Challenge Miracle Mountain. We call it Miracle Mountain because truly miracles happen here every day. Our ladies come from all different walks of life, 
with all different kinds of addictions and broken relationships and broken hearts. They come to a place of safety on our mountain for one year. When our ladies come, they're assigned different jobs on the mountain. Some cook, some clean, some do laundry, some do maintenance on the property. Also, our ladies are out in the community three days a week sharing Teen Challenge as a resource and their stories with people who need to hear about Teen Challenge. I can't tell you the countless calls I get for people calling for help once our girls have been out in the community. Our ladies are offered structured Bible classes, devotions, approximately 28 hours a week. That's where they find their new life in Christ. That's where the healing comes. Our ladies, after one year, graduate the program. They're reconciled back with their families to start their new life in Christ. Without the community's support and help, we would not be able to keep these doors open. We are so grateful for our churches, our communities, programs, and service groups that help us keep the doors of Teen Challenge open. Yes, the ladies are very grateful to leave Compton <laughs> and come to Ventura Teen Challenge. So this is kind of a day in a life of Teen Challenge. Um, it's a beautiful 143 acres somebody donated to us pretty much uh, in 1999. And what a place to recover. We really believe that there is the presence of God there. And again, Pastor said, we're a discipleship program. We're not a drug rehab. We trick the drug addicts. They think they're going to a rehab. They come and they find Jesus, right, ladies, right? Amen. Um, as our ladies make their way up here, I want to read you uh, uh, some of our stats that we got from 2018, and I thought this was amazing. This is Southern California Teen Challenge all over. These are combined numbers. We had 465 graduates in 2018. We had 1,242 people get saved. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And... This is quite incredible. All of our Teen Challenges uh, interview people for the program through all of Southern California Teen Challenge. They estimated 365,000 calls for help in 2018. 365,000 calls for help. That is amazing. So Teen Challenge is a real needed thing. Only God thought of this idea. It's a great idea. It's a genius idea to find a place like this during this terrible drug and emotional crisis that we're going through. Isn't it amazing that God thought of this? So um, you're going to hear our ladies sing. They're so beautiful, aren't they beautiful? Yes. <laughs> Natasha, you remember you joined the choir whether you liked it or not, right? Yes, yes. So so we're going to go ahead and turn it over to Julie. You're going to hear some testimonies, and you're going to hear some songs. And God bless you. Thank you so much for your support and love. We, we appreciate you, and it's a pleasure to see you, too. God bless. Thank you. Good morning. 
Just wanted to say thank you all for your love and support of Teen Challenge. I'm one of the staff members, but I was also a student, and I remember coming and singing at your church, and I just love you guys, and we all love you. So thank you for your prayers, your support, and being nice to the girls when they come out in their red shirts to fundraise at the stores and coming to your doors and stuff. So thank you, and I'm going to have Amanda come down because she's one of our apprentices, so she graduated, and then she did an extended four months at our center to to help out and so I want her to share what God's done in her life. Hi church um, I'm Amanda and I'm from Lafayette Louisiana. Um, Teen Challenge is a, um, a family affair for me. Um, my brother was living in California and got into some trouble and found himself in Teen Challenge and he and countless other people prayed me in and here I stand. Um, we came from an amazing Christian home. My mom was a worship leader. Um, but being in church all the time for me was a double-edged sword because I never opened the Bible for myself. I was there all the time, so I heard the stories and I knew them. I could recite them, but when the storms of life came, I had no roots in the Word. I had no relationship. Um, everything I was doing was because my mom did it or, or you know, I, because it was her job. Um, I've always compared myself to other people. I don't know where that comes from. Um, my parents got divorced when I was really young, so I was looking for acceptance through any way I could get it, and I ended up um, doing drugs uh, probably from 14 to around 20, um, and then something horrible happened to me, and I ended up pregnant with my son, and the guilt and shame of that, because I couldn't tell anybody, I wouldn't tell anybody, because I didn't think anyone would believe me, but I ended up having my son and never really was able to be a mom to him, and I just dove into a needle. I was a junkie. Um, I was an opiate user, and I did whatever I could do to make myself not feel or have to deal with day-to-day -day life. Um, I was, about 10 years ago um, in January, I was on the way home um, after scoring, and um, I hit an 18-wheeler head-on. And um, I don't remember anything from it. God sheltered me from those memories, thank God. But I broke 16 bones, um, blew my insides out, collapsed my lungs, and was dead on the table. And I remember waking up in ICU, and this one of my nurses uh, came up to me, and she was like, you need to get curious as to why God saved you, um, because there is something that he's called you to do, and he's not done with you yet. And I wish that was the end of the story, but I just, I had a prescription all of a sudden now, which was legal for me. And I was like, you know, I dove into painkillers and it just became a vicious cycle because I, again, had no relationship with the Lord. But I had a mother that prayed for me and quoted scripture over me when I slept in the hospital. And I learned how to walk again. And it was the hardest thing I ever had to do, but I did it with God. And something changed in me. And I stand here pain-free, absolutely pain-free today. And I'm not on painkillers. Um, I graduated the program in February, um, and I've done my apprenticeship on the mountain, and I've grown in ways I never knew I could, um, done things I never imagined doing, number one, living in California. Um, and in 16 days, um, I'm going to start Teen Challenge Ministry Institute, which is in L.A. It's an opportunity that you get when you go through the program, and um, I feel called and led into ministry, and I will spend the rest of my life serving the Lord and just trying to give back to the people and give them hope that I found in Jesus Christ. So thank you guys for supporting us. I appreciate it.
Hi, my name is Justine. I'm 28 years old. I'm from Bakersfield, California. Um, I come from a broken family. Um, my parents divorced at the age of 13, and my mom had left me with my dad. So um, I started seeking my attention in other things like drugs and men and just everything else that um, just leads you into a dark world. Um, in 2016, I started... Um, being an escort and escorting ladies too, and um, that really, that really um, took my life, you know. Um, and then, by the grace of God, my husband found me on the streets because once I was doing that, I became very homeless. I was living on the streets, and um, a week and a half later, December 26, I entered this program. And if it wasn't for this program, I would not be here today. Um, so I'm just so grateful, and I have so much joy in my heart from the Lord. And um, the scripture I, I lean on right now is, um, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that's Psalms 119.105. Thank you, guys. Hi, good morning. I'm Trish. I'm 41 years old, and I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, last July, so almost a year ago, um, I was in the pit of despair, and I cried out to God, and thankfully, he reached his mighty hand down into my life and brought me into Teen Challenge. Um, I also thought that this was just a recovery program, that I was coming here to get over my life-threatening alcohol addiction, and I have learned that this is so much more than that. Um, a week into the program is when I repented and I asked God to reveal himself to me. The very next morning in the chapel in Bakersfield, as I was reading in Romans, I read that God and I were reconciled and that he was back in my life and I was forgiven. And that's when our relationship started developing. Um, it was kind of slow in the beginning, you know, we were hanging out like here and there a few times a week, I was getting to know him, and um, as I've progressed in the program, our relationship has progressed a lot. I, I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't know anything about having a personal relationship with the Lord, and this is real. I ask him, you know, like, is this really happening? Is this really real? And he confirms it constantly. And um, it's been almost two weeks ago, we went to this amazing event. It's called Spiritual Emphasis, where we had speakers and worship music, and it just changed my life. Um, it opened my mind. I just... It just really changed my perspective. And so this has just been in like the last 10 days, my relationship with the Lord has totally changed. Um, we're hanging out a lot now, and um, he, I realized we have like these little inside things that he always knew about, but I didn't, and now I know that he really knows me, and it's great. I'm like, I thought I was a worthless alcoholic, and because of Teen Challenge and what the Lord is revealing to me, you know, I'm loved, I am chosen, I have purpose, I'm a daughter of the Most High, like, I just, I can't believe it. <laughs> this is such an honor to have been chosen by God himself to come to Teen Challenge to, I mean, 
he wanted a relationship with me, with all of us, that much that, you know, he just chose us out of our life, out of our addiction, and brought us here so that we could get to know him and so that we could figure out our purpose. Um, let's see. So I hope you know what I mean by this personal relationship with the Lord. And if you don't, ask him how he feels about you. Ask him if he loves you. And I promise he will let you know how special you are and that you do matter to him. I stand here as a witness to this truth, um, the transforming power of the gospel and um, the redeeming and the strengthening and enabling power of the atonement is what has gotten me this far. And I'm so grateful to the Lord and to Teen Challenge. Thank you. Amen. Yes. We were created to worship God. It's the very air we breathe. It's the very life that we live. We were created to give glory and honor to Jesus. And when we turn our eyes towards him and we begin to call upon the name of Jesus, there is power that is released in the heavens. There is joy that is released in our hearts. I believe in Jesus. I believe in
the day of my trouble My sins have overtaken me But you reach down your mighty hands And drew me from the deep You heard my cry and you bent down to listen You stepped out of heaven and waged a war for my soul You went to the cross and overcame the grave You destroyed my enemies And set me free
by sin and addiction can walk into the freedom of the destiny for which you created us. Hallelujah. You are the answer. You are the cure for whatever ails us. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, right? Amen. <laughs> In Hebrews, it says that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is so good. We are all walking testimonies. We all have a story. Um, good morning, church. My name is Ashley Hernandez. I have the honor of serving these ladies. Um, I'm 26 years old. Um, I kind of come from a different perspective. You see, in 1997, my mother was a heroin addict for seven years. She was so lost in her addiction that she abused opiates while I was literally being knit in her womb. But thanks be to Jesus, I was born healthy and as free as it can be. Um, yeah, all glory to him. Thank you. <laughs> This morning I was reading in Psalm 100 verse 5, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. You know, um, we are the future of this generation. These are mothers, these are sisters, these are aunts, along with um, our men's center located in Southern California Teen Challenge. And um, we're just so honored to be here and, and to share our hearts with you. Um, I want to share some upcoming events that we're going to have. We invite you um, just as family. And um, so I'm going to share some dates. So August 24th, we're going to have our Gideon Banquet. It's a beautiful dinner um, at our lovely mountain, as you see in the video. And then if you like long walks on the beach at sunset, you know, we have Walk to Recovery. It's a 5K walk, or if you enjoy running, um, it's um, at the Ventura Crown Plaza is where we begin. And so we just walk alongside the ocean and just um, hang out uh, together. And then on October 5th, we're going to have our first um, high tea and fashion show. So we're really excited about that. And then October 14th, we will always have um, our golf um, event at the Ojai Valley Inn. Um, so I myself will be at the Teen Challenge table located in the back. So if you have any more questions or any um, just want more information, please come see me and I'd be happy to share with you. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a blessing. Ashley, I have turned on. Can you do something with it? There you go. Thank you. I did my part, Sam. Uh, what Ashley didn't share is when she was um, born from her mother's womb, um, because of her mother's drug use, she was addicted uh, as, a, as a baby, but never used drugs in her adulthood and went on to just get her education and come back and serve at Teen Challenge. This is a redemptive power of God, and I, I'm so blessed by that, Ashley. So last service, we had the girls sit down, and I thought, I don't want to do that, because um, Ashley went through the whole list of ways to join in their fundraisers, and I have a better way, and we don't have to go on long walks on the beach, we don't have to do a high tea, and, and they, they were going to make me dress up in a dress, and I didn't want to do that, no. <laughs> What I was thinking is we're going we're gonna to greet one another, and, and in a moment I'll have you all stand, and then I'm going to have the ladies just go out and get a card from them, let, let them have their information, and if you want to support Teen Challenge, pull them aside and say, I'd like to support Teen Challenge, because I tell you, it is the most remarkable discipleship program in all of Ventura County, and uh, it is money well spent. So um, let's stand, and let's put on our friendliest faces. <laughs> And great joy in our heart. And ladies, 
go out and show them what that's like. Go out and love on them. And folks, let's greet each other in the love of Christ. And let's say hello to these ladies. God bless you. Take all the time you want. I'm going to be doing a topical message. I know we're in the book of Luke, but the Lord put this on my heart. And the reason why, and you don't, I'll refer to scripture, but uh, there's not a typical one I'm going to read. And this isn't typical for us. We go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And we are currently going through Luke. But uh, after the shooting in Virginia Beach, um, I just feel like... um, the wound has been opened here as well, and, and I think as a nation, we're just, we're tired of the evil, and it's, um, it's nauseating, quite frankly. I sent a, an email to the mayor of, uh, of, of uh, Virginia Beach, uh, Bobby Dyer, and, um, you know, they, they lost uh, 11 of, of their employees, well, 10, and then one was a, a contractor coming in to get uh, plan check approval. And these were all employees of the city of Virginia Beach, and they were shot and killed. And um, that city is devastated. Um, and I, I've just been contemplating, especially as we watch the division in the country, um, as some states are putting forward um, sanctity of life bills, and other states are um, putting abortion on demand bills, and we're watching kind of the division of the nation. Um, and, and folks think it, you know, the, the, that these states that are putting pro-life measures into position are pushing it to the Supreme Court, thinking that the Supreme Court will overturn Roe v. Wade. And, uh, and, and the, the vitriol is getting very loud across the country. And I, I've been examining all the, these things, and my heart's been so heavy with this concept of of evil, just the way we treat one another and the things that are taking place and then the shootings and all the, the awful aspects. And there are times where you just honestly just kind of get sick of it. And I'm sick of it. And as I was thinking about some of the citizens in our community, they're having to process this all over again after the news has been just inundated with the shooting in Virginia Beach. I can't even turn on the news. It's just so overwhelming. Um, And I was thinking, most people today understand evil as uh, anything that causes harm. Most people consider evil as anything that causes harm. But the scripture goes deeper in its definition of evil, and that's what we're going to take a look at. The Bible uses the word evil in a broader way to describe anything that violates God's moral will and therefore displeases God. That's what evil is. Anything that violates God's moral will, that's evil. Evil's more than merely the absence of good. It's the corruption of good. It's like rust on a car. It's corrupting the car. In the scriptures, you can see the first sin, the first evil that entered the world when Uh, Eve and Adam disobeyed God in Genesis chapter 3. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the story, it's the very first book of the Bible. This is how evil entered into the world and initiated the sweeping consequence uh, through the, the curse that came upon the world in which we live today. And it was that initial moral evil that was loosed, and now it's ever expanding suffering upon the earth. And, and we can go back thousands of years, 6,000 years of recorded history. We can go back and just watch as evil increases on the face of the earth. Suffering follows evil like a caboose follows the engine of a train. We can therefore think 
of moral wrongdoing, moral wrongdoing, violating God's principles, we can think of moral wrongdoing as primary evil and suffering as secondary evil. Secondary evils are things that happen to us that we don't like, and they're caused by primary evils, which are things we do that God doesn't like. We may not like the consequences of evil on the earth, but that is a result of the evil that we've perpetrated by disobeying what God desires. If God is good and all-knowing and all-powerful, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? That's the question I get. If God is good and all-knowing and all-powerful, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Surely he wants to prevent it. He knows how to prevent it, and he has the ability to prevent it. So why doesn't he? With this in mind, you go back to the original story and God's story in Genesis. It gives you an understanding of evil. God declared his creation very good. You can see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. He, he goes through every day of creation. He says, it's good, it's good, it's good. He gets to the creation of man. He says, let us make man in our image. Us is Elohim. It's the relation of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He makes man relational. He says, let us make man in our image. And as he does this, he says, it's very good. Everything was good until he creates man. Now it's very good. Only one thing in the Garden of Eden that wasn't good, that man was alone. So he fashioned the woman out of the man from the side, not from the head that, he would, that she would rule over him or from the foot that he would rule over her, but from the side that they would walk in unity together in submission to one another. And then he turns to them and he says, this entire paradise is for you. Eat freely of all of it. Eat freely of all of it. But for love to exist, there needs to be a choice. And so there's this tree over here, and this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that tree, you'll die. You will bring a curse onto the earth. There's a consequence to that. If you put this fork in the light socket, child, you will be electrocuted. Don't do it. As that child goes to put that fork in, you slap that hand. The child looks at you in disbelief. Why did mommy and daddy hurt me? So that you wouldn't die. But that's suffering. You have no idea how worse it could have been. Don't eat of that tree, you'll die. Even with this clear warning, laid out with the consequences before them, an entire garden of an entire creation awaiting their freedom. That one tree, stay away from it. And the human couple weighed their alternatives, they thought about it, they weighed it in the balance, And evil, though it's hard to imagine how, entered their hearts. Adam and Eve rebelled, choosing to violate God's command. They ate that which was forbidden. The curse fell upon them. Their pain greatly increased. The earth became a world of hurt, and they forfeited paradise. The severity of these consequences reflects the seriousness of their act and the seriousness of all sin. For example, when we hurt those we love, when we hurt those we love, we become aware of our sin because their obvious pain 
reflects our evil back to us like a mirror. You can see what you're doing to them. Sin doesn't just affect us. It affects those we love. But since we don't see God or observe how our sin hurts Him, we fail to realize both the frequency and the gravity of our offense or our sin. We imagine our sin has little or no effect on Him. And we couldn't be more wrong. All sin is against God. Sin just means missing the mark. Failing to honor God's moral standard. All sin is against God. From the first sin in the Garden of Eden all the way to modern day times now and throughout all of history. Heartbreaking as it was, Adam and Eve, their sin did not take God by surprise. Though evil has no part in God's original creation, it was part of his original plan. God didn't force Adam and Eve to do evil, but he created them, listen, he created them with the freedom of choice. God is pro-choice. Now, you know that I am completely 100% opposed to the destruction of a human baby in the womb of its mother. But God is pro-choice. Not in the sense that the world would define pro-choice. God is pro-choice. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In eating of it, dying you will surely die. Current and progressive. Have all this, but don't do that. Why a choice? The Bible attributes the origin of all human evil to people exercising choice. When we choose to disobey God's standard, it brings us into inescapable suffering. God didn't force Adam and Eve to do evil, but he created them with freedom of choice. The Bible attributes the origin of all human evil to people exercising meaningful choice. And when human beings that have the ability to choose decide to choose in opposition to what God desires, suffering enters the world. When we choose to disobey God's standard, it brings inescapable suffering. The problem of evil is therefore the problem of freedom. Without human freedom, there could be no evil. Land of the free, home of the brave. Freedom. 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 We tend to want our freedom and then blame God for the suffering. To argue that God should not permit such evil or suffering is to argue against human beings having meaningful choice. It is to insist that their choices be inconsequential and therefore meaningless. I don't go home every night to my wife because of a ring or some words that I said to a minister or those that witnessed me speaking 
Or as Glenn Campbell says, some ink stains dried upon some line. Michelle hasn't remained married to me for 29 years for those reasons. Every day is a choice. Two fallen creatures yielding their lives to God and to one another. There's heartache, trust me. And it's painful, trust me. I have broken her heart. I have made her life immeasurably miserable. But she made a promise. She made a choice. Tell death, do us part. As did I. Mine has been much easier than her road. And she would probably say otherwise. We're creatures of choice because we're, we're creatures of love. God wants us to choose to love him from our hearts. God wants us to love him not because he forces us, but because we see him for who he really is and want and choose to love him from our hearts. This one gets me. We're tempted to think that God messed it up. Whenever we're tempted to think God has messed up our nice world by interjecting evil and suffering into it, let's remember that in fact we messed up God's perfect world by interjecting evil and suffering. Then he suffered evil by our hands so that we could never be delivered, so that we could forever, excuse me, be delivered from evil and suffering and death. He entered our world. He left the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation of an earthly cross. He was beaten. He bled. He died. His blood was poured out for the remission of our sins. This is what God did for us. I look at the naturalistic view that the world tends to hold. This idea of survival of the fittest. Darwin. That there's only... Only um, a materialistic world. That we only deal in matter. There's no absolutes, no morals. It's a system that operates on brute strength. You get to the top. Your top dog. Your leader of the pack. Look out for yourself. Don't be concerned with everyone else. And that system operates on brute strength, genetic superiority, survival of the fittest. It can explain and justify racism, sexism, greed, selfishness, insensitivity, survival preoccupation, and even a certain amount of ruthlessness and oppression. But the one thing that a naturalistic world, a Darwinian world, can't explain is goodness Humility, compassion, mercy. If naturalism were an accurate worldview, if naturalism were an accurate worldview, the cruelty of abortion would characterize our society at every level. So would rape. Wouldn't it be conducive to having your DNA survive the fittest? Anyone who doesn't believe in absolutes cannot say that that's wrong. You can't say that Hitler was wrong. You can't use the word evil. That's metaphysics. 
You can't use evil in just a physical world. You can't call me evil. You can't call me good. You can't call me bad. And you push for these things. And when we get our knees knocked out from under us like Virginia Beach and the borderline, you can't use metaphysical terms if you're a naturalist. You can't say that was evil. Because to say it was evil means there's such a thing as good. And yet, in this world that is ever embracing humanism and naturalism and avoiding a metaphysical world and just seeing matter as neither created nor destroyed, it just exists in this ever-increasing agnostic, atheistic world. We still have children's hospitals spending vast resources to help the terminally ill. What's that about? Why waste that money? We see Special Olympics for disabled children. Really? Survival of the fittest? We find special parking for handicap. Survival of the fittest? Where does that come from? That's hyperbole. You know I think all those to be good. These are shocking aberrations from the survival of the fittest, which would normally welcome the death of the weak, the diseased, and the disabled so this, this hurting world has a truckload of evil, but it also has boatloads of good. Where did all this goodness come from? If you argue that evil is evidence against God's existence, you must also admit that good is evidence that God does exist. You use the word evil, and you have to use the word good. Those are metaphysical terms. You want justice when someone's lied to you in a contract. What does lying mean? Well, it wasn't true. Oh, so there's truth. Well, not absolute truth. Well, so then they're not lying. Oh, no, they're lying. But they don't feel, feel like they're lying because they get your money. Yeah, but they promise. This is their reality. Apparently, you don't see the contradiction in that. <laughs> if lying exists, so does truth. If evil exists, so does good. Welcome to God's planet. Is God's love limited? Many people start to doubt God's love when terrible things happen to them. As a chaplain, I've seen this. As a minister, I've seen this. As a husband and a father, I've seen this. And just as a human being, I've seen this. The reason why we start to doubt God is because we define love in such superficial ways. We come to a place where these superficial ways to observe love sets us up to question God in the hard times. And so somehow we're supposed to, you know, be in a rose garden all the time. But the Bible speaks repeatedly about God's unfailing love, his steadfast love. Psalm 51.1, God's constant love for us will never let us down no matter how things appear. But then you think, why doesn't God immediately bring evil and suffering to an end? Why does he just end it? 
If Jesus had triumphed over sin and death in his cross and resurrection, why does our world still contain so much evil and suffering? Hmm. Well, it's real simple. God's delaying his final judgment of evil and waiting longer to wipe away every tear from the eyes of his children. He's giving more people an opportunity to become part of his kingdom. He's waiting for you to choose. He's a God of choice. He's pro-choice. But he wants you to willingly choose him as I willingly choose my wife and she willingly chooses me. It's called love. He unconditionally loves us in the wickedness of our life and yet we are so quick to judge one another. We receive mercy and we give judgment. We receive mercy and we give judgment. In order for us to experience patience and compassion and mercy and sacrificial love, both to see them in God and develop them in ourselves, we, we suffer and experience evil. We experience suffering. It's amazing how much more evil our sin looks on somebody else than it does on ourselves. No evil will forever go unpunished. The wheels of justice do turn slowly, but they do turn surely. I remember when I was a brand new sheriff's chaplain, and I was called on a scene of an officer-involved shooting, and he was at Los Robles, and I went there. I didn't know the details, and as I arrived in the emergency room at Los Robles, I approached the desk, and I was wet behind the ears. I didn't know chaplaincy. And I'd heard there were multiple victims involved in it, and I'd heard that the shooter had been killed at the Walmart, and I came into the hospital. I, I just didn't know how to navigate. And I saw someone behind the counter, a man, and I said, uh, my name's Rob McCoy. I'm a chaplain for the Ventura County Sheriff's Department. Uh, there's been an officer-involved shooting, and I'm here. Uh, I've been called. And he started crying. His name is Dr. Nordello. He said, that's my wife in the emergency room there. She's been bludgeoned and I don't know if she's going to live. My two children are in there. A random gunman came over the hill into the Santa Rosa Valley, broke into our home, beat my wife, and then my wife had protected the children, locked them in, the, I believe, the bathroom. He broke in there and bludgeoned them. Mrs. Nordella would ultimately die. The two children would survive. And Dr. Nordella was left with this overwhelming Question, how could anything like this ever happen to us? Mrs. Nordella was homeschool Christian mom. They were church attenders, faithful, poured their life into this community. The kids are remarkable. The woman was remarkable. They did everything right. Somebody they don't even know, no one who has a grudge against them, comes over the hill running from another shooting, breaks into their home, kills her, attacks the children. Ultimately shoots an officer and then shoots himself after he had killed two here in Thousand Oaks. Evil. Incarnate. Visited on the Nordello home. Evil and the borderline visited on our community. And we're left saying, how can this happen? How is this possible? I don't have an answer. can't explain it. 
Yes, I know the scripture says all things work together for good with those who love God and are according, called according to his purposes. But my wife hasn't been bludgeoned to death. Yes, I know the scripture says all things work together for good with those who love God and are called according to their purpose, but my child hasn't been shot. Yes, I know that all things work together for good and are, I know this. But when I'm standing across from somebody whose life is in turmoil, I don't quote that verse. I do know this. I'm not God, and I cannot fathom, but he does. He knows how to work it together for good. The question is, will we trust him when we can't see him accomplishing this? In those moments, you can't see anything but grief, disbelief. Behind almost every human expression of the problem of evil stands the assumption that somehow we know what God should do. I know what he should do. He should have stopped that shooter before he started shooting. But unlike God, we are not all knowing, all wise, all loving, all powerful, and perfectly good. How can we know what to do? We might think a good and all powerful God should disarm every shooter, prevent every drunk driver from drinking, driving, or crashing. But if God did that, this wouldn't be a real world in which people would make consequential, consequential choices. God's pro life, and He's also pro choice. Consequential choices. Be assured that God is restraining a great deal of evil until the moment he brings the final judgment. I was reading where someone had commented how God holds back the full tide of human and demonic wickedness and infuses this fallen world with his overflowing measures of goodness. A person commented, given the evil of the human heart, Given the evil of the human heart, you'd think there would be a thousand Jack the Rippers around the world. Someone says, how, how can something like Jack the Ripper ever happen? Ted Bundy. How is it that there aren't exponentially more? I, I have seen the depravity of the human heart in the church. And I don't have to go any further than myself, let alone into your life. I've seen deception and selfishness and conniving, manipulating, insecurity, broken promises, abuse. And it manifests itself generation after generation. The, the young girl, Ashley, she was sharing, her mom was taking heroin while she was pregnant. With that little girl. Can you imagine the devastation? The retardation? Praise God. We thank him for the testimony of Ashley's life. But my goodness. The Lord is restraining evil. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is a restrainer of evil. The, the, the thing. There's evil. That does cause suffering on this earth. But do you understand the exponential amount of evil that God restrains from affecting us? And that which he allows to come through, God is limiting sin all around us all the time. 
I, and I, I, I got to tell you, he has put roadblocks in the way of me sinning, and I have blown through those. And, he, and, he's, and he's put barriers, and I've jumped over them, and I've dug under them. I've walked around them. I've gotten ladders. I've repelled. If God permitted people to follow their every evil inclination all the time, life on this planet would come to a screeching halt. And all we need to do is know your secret life. The motivation for why you do what you do. Is it truly other-centered or self-centered? Even our acts of goodness are selfish. 2 Thessalonians 2.7, God confirms that God is in fact restraining lawlessness in this world if you ever want to take a look at it. And we should thank him for this daily. Why hasn't God made the reasons for our suffering more clear? Since our understanding is limited, it shouldn't surprise us that an all-knowing God might have purposes in our suffering which we cannot comprehend, at least for now. What we call the problem of evil is often the problem of our finite and fallen understanding. We assume God should answer our questions, but sometimes our questions can't be answered. We're like children. You see, Christianity's explanation for evil and suffering beats that of any worldview. It accounts for this world becoming a jumble of good and evil, and it offers the greatest hope for our world's future. But I do like that question I asked. Why hasn't God made the reasons for our suffering more clear? Since our understanding is limited, it shouldn't surprise us that an all-knowing God might have purposes in our suffering which we cannot comprehend, at least for now. And what we call the problem of evil is often the problem of our finite and fallen understanding. Just like children, my daughter, I've shared this with you, Molly, oldest, four years old, cuts her head. I come home with Michelle from being out, and the babysitter told her she needed stitches. She said, what are stitches? She said, they take a needle and thread, and they sew your head up, and she's panicking. And I take her to the emergency room. We're sitting in the waiting room. She keeps asking me, are they going to sew my head together? And they sew my head together. I said, honey, um, don't panic. And she's in the waiting room three, four hours, five. Finally let us in. She is worked up. And then the doctor comes in with the bedside manner of Dr. Kevorkian and says, looks like that's going to need some stitches. And she just paralyzes and freezes. And they strap them down and with a Velcro, but because the cut was here, they couldn't put the, the Velcro over her forehead. So I said, Dad, you're going to have to hold her head. So I'm holding her head and I'm looking around. And she's, Daddy, 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 please, Daddy, please, Daddy, 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 please, Daddy. And she's shaking and I'm holding her down. And I won't look at her. And she goes, Daddy. And she composes herself, Daddy, 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 please look at me, Daddy, Daddy, please look at me. Mm. I love that little girl. And she composes herself. And she looks at me in the eyes. Daddy, how can you let them do this to me? <laughs> I didn't let her go. I sewed her head up. She couldn't comprehend why I was doing it. And we can't comprehend why God disciplines us as his children or allows us to suffer just like children going to the dentist but one day you'll grow up and you'll get it and so will we our times of suffering God doesn't give answers as much as he gives himself the parent tries to explain but in our limited understanding of an eternal God we struggle I'm almost finished the only answer bigger than the question 
Jesus Christ's death on the cross is God's breathtaking answer to the question, why don't you do something about evil? God, why don't you do something about evil? I did. I did. I sent you my son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the last thought for for us is, What's the right, right way to respond to our suffering? The first one is, look to God's promises. Read his word, cling to it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Anticipate his rewards. Great is your reward in heaven, it's coming. Temporary suffering, eternal glory. Lighten the load of your suffering by prayer. Do not be anxious in anything, but in all things, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And here's the kicker. Share your life with those who suffer. I, I went and spent time with Vanessa Bechtel doing one of the TO talks, and she is the CEO of the Ventura County, or, yeah, Ventura County Community Foundation. When the families of the victims of the borderline shooting and all those that suffered at the borderline shooting and the victims of the fires, the city set up through the VCCF a fund. Eight million dollars went into that. Four million for the borderline, four million for the fire. Eighty percent of that came out of the Conejo Valley or maybe 70 percent of it came out of the Conejo Valley. The rest came from almost all 50 states in the union including countries on on every continent except Antarctica, all over the world they poured in, giving, giving. And I was moved by this, and I turned to Vanessa, and she's got such a wonderful disposition. I said, how did you get into philanthropy? You went to UCSB, you have a law degree, you went into finance, you graduated from USC, how did you get into this? And she said, Rob, I had my own financial company, and I had a client who was the meanest, most cantankerous human being I've ever known. He would call me and he'd be upset about the return rate on his investments and he would nickel and dime it to death and he was just angry. And he was all alone and he was super wealthy. And I called him one day and he was yelling at me for something and I just said to him, Bill, what are you going to do with your money when you die? He said, doesn't matter to me, I'll be gone. But you can make a difference for the suffering in the world. He goes, I don't know, who should I give it to? She said, look around you. He opened the LA Times. He saw a story on the children's hospital in Los Angeles. He said, I want to go see that. He was up in Santa Barbara. She said, okay, I'll come get you. I'm not driving with you. You're a terrible driver. (laughs) So the children's hospital provided a driver, and he complained about their driving all the way down. And he walked in there, and he was king of the roost. And he walked in and he saw all these babies in intensive care, like the picture you saw. His heart broke. He said, I want to give. Not while I'm dead, but while I'm alive. She said she watched this man's entire life change as he stepped into the suffering of others with his ability to minister. The most bitter, angry people are the are the stingiest. 
And the happiest are the most generous. You want out of your suffering? Step into someone else's. Whenever you feel tempted to ask God, why are you doing this to me? Look at the cross and ask, why did you do that for me? Why did you do that for me? And God says, I left heaven for you to cleanse you of all unrighteousness so that you would have a choice. Choose this day whom you'll serve. This table is voluntary. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you, my blood shed for the remission of your sins to give you a reconnection to the Father, make you a new creature in Christ, and to change you from the inside out. I'm gonna deliver you from the, the, from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You, you wanna stay in your misery, you have that choice. You wanna reap to, to the flesh and sow death, you have that choice. God is pro-choice because he's a God of love. He's not forcing you to this table. Nobody is. I won't bring you by guilt or compulsion. I can plead with you, but you can look at me and say, I'm an idiot. But that doesn't change the fact that God loves you. And he says, come, all you are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come. All you've had your heart broken, come. I'll work it together for good. I'll exchange your ashes for beauty. Come. Some of you, you are stubborn. You're stubborn. You don't want to let go. You are under the illusion that you're in control. And all you're doing is dying. And he's offering you a choice of life. You make up all kinds of excuses. And God says, come. You go, I'm going to party in hell with my friends. There won't be any partying in hell. There won't be friendships in hell. There won't be any goodness in hell. And Jesus loves you this much, he put a big barrier, the cross, in front of the gates. And, and why hell? Because God is merciful and he's just. And he took it. He, was, he suffered. He suffered to set you free. And these girls that were here earlier that are now out there, they know the power of the redemptive God who delivered them from death unto life. And you struggle with any of that reality? Do you just talk to any one of them? They understand the power of this table. And so God invites you. Come and receive his forgiveness and his life. And as you receive, the Bible says, freely you've received, and then go and freely give and touch the world with life. What is life? Life is goodness. It's imparting God's moral standard upon the earth so that people would no longer suffer in Jesus' name. Amen.